Hello, you're listening to Sounds Like Life. I'm Aisha Barmania. In this episode, we're going to hear an interview I conducted with master canoe builder Chuck Commanda. For three weeks, he was building a canoe and teaching others how to build a canoe at the Canadian Canoe Museum. It's a birch bark canoe, and when I spoke to him, it was almost complete. The canoe was located in, I believe it's called their skills workshop, and so it's a lowered area from the main floor, and you have to walk past all these old, magnificent canoes to reach it. One of the canoes we passed was actually made by Chuck's grandparents, who taught him a number of carpentry skills on that very canoe, and he speaks with me a bit about it. In his workshop, there's a number of other young men learning how to make a canoe there. The floor is littered with wood chips and scrapings from from their building practices. And in the middle is the canoe itself, made from birch bark and ash and other types of wood. My name is Chuck Amanda. I'm from Kittigan ZB, Quebec. I live near Lanark, Ontario now. And I've been doing birch bark canoes uh, for about 10 years now, full time. Full time? Yeah. And, um, when did you start? Oh, back in, 19, in the 1970s. I was just a young boy, about 10, 12 years old. And uh, as a matter of fact, they have one canoe here that I started working on when I was a kid with my, with my grandparents. Yeah, so, and then I took a 20-year break, thinking that the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. Turns out my side was green after all, or greener. <laughs> yeah, so this is where we're landed now today. Yep. And uh, do you have any memories of making that canoe with your grandparents? I certainly do. Um, more recently, i seen a book uh, about canoe making. And the only picture i seen of me in there was when I was scratching the bear. I was uh, scratching the bark away from the bear. And so I remember it very, very clearly. I didn't notice the bear on it. Uh, yeah. I just walked that very quickly. Can you tell me what it looks like? Yeah, and you want to go for a walk? Okay. Be this canoe right here, right? Okay. Right in the, the one okay. in the middle here. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's my grandparents' canoe. William and Mary Commander. So here's the bear I was talking to you about. Great. Yeah. So I seen a picture recently of myself scratching that canoe. I was just a young lad then. So it brought back a lot of memories. Well, what's ironic is I'm the teacher now. So 40 years later, the circle is complete, and I'm the teacher now. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel to be teaching people how to make a canoe so close to the one that you pretty much learned how to make a canoe? Uh, <laughs> well, I try not to uh, focus on it too much, because yeah, I have a big job at hand. 
Um, it's, it's difficult enough uh, staying focused on that when every day I have a Skype lesson and we all start here. And then I tell the kids the, the special bond I have with this canoe. And it's just like I was telling you, I'm the one that did the etchings. I helped my grandma prepare the root because that's spruce root. Oh. And we lash everything with root. So when we would have prepared the wood inside to the thin stuff or the planking, they call it. Yeah, so that's my connection to this. Hmm. Anyhow. Could you tell me a bit about your grandparents? Uh, what would you like to know? Um. <laughs> well, my grandfather was chief of the, our reserve in the 50s, 60s. And I don't remember much about him after that because I got involved with sports. Uh, same thing with my grandma. Uh, she was his helper. And uh, at the beginning, we didn't see much of them because, like I said, we were involved with more sports, hockey, and that kind of stuff. But in our, in our teens, that's when we started focusing on the canoes. And uh, William was uh, had a hair-trigger temper, well, from what I remember. And it didn't take him much to, to fly out the handle. And usually uh, after one lesson, either you got it or you didn't. And uh, you pray to God that you did. <laughs> yeah, but my grandmother, was, she, she was so patient. You know, she was the epitome of patience. So she kind of taught me all that. And she'd take me on the side, and then we'd prepare the route, and she'd tell me stories about her, her childhood, which was pretty neat. And that's something that we've lost as people. You know, it doesn't matter which culture you're from. We always shared, shared stories, and especially stories about what happened to you as a kid, and na na na. And so here we are. Do you have any sense of why they wanted to teach you and your, and your family how to make canoes? Well, I think they wanted to continue the tradition. Um, it's bad enough we lost most of our language. But this is one thing that they couldn't take. I mean, they tried to replicate it through various other shapes, shaped canoes. But it always comes back to the birch bark canoe, which if you look back in history, the birch bark canoe is what kind of formed these countries. And know, had it not been for that, um, there's no way they were bringing in their big ships all the way up this far in, into Canada. So when uh, they first arrived and they seen uh, our people that using these canoes and they fashioned them after, after the Birchburg canoe. And so we have fiberglass and cedar strip canvas canoes today, and metal canoes. And, but then it's not as aesthetically pleasing as looking at a Birchburg canoe. You know, something so beautiful come out of the woods. And especially the alarming rate we're losing our forest. You know, it's kind of concerning. And if you look at the cross pieces, the cross pieces are made with ash. And if ever, anybody, everybody knows about the emerald ash borer, and so we're losing our ash trees now. And so now we're looking for suitable replacement for that. Um, but recently we heard a theory that uh, one uh, Aboriginal gentleman, he did an experiment and he took some live branches from a dying ash and then he, he put them in the soil in the swamp. And he had a pretty good success rate, and they had uh, some kind of a defense mechanism now against the emerald ash borer. So it goes to show you again: if we intervene, we usually muck it up, and we just let nature take care of itself. It usually takes care of itself. Yeah. yeah. What's the significance of the different types of wood? Um, the significance really is uh, the cedar is the most widely used wood. For that was because it's durable, lasts a long time, it's very lightweight, and that would have been significant of that. The ash, well, the ash was just to carry the weight of us sitting on it. Yeah, 
Um, but ash was widely used, was used in snowshoes, uh, axe handles, um, thwarts. And I think I remember them doing ash, ba or ash woven baskets. Okay. Yeah, but that's something that people have done for, for years now. And then, uh, yeah, well, anything where we needed strength and durability and lightweight, we used the uh, ash. So, and then the bark, well, obviously the bark was significant in its skin. Yeah, and today, while well, we work with the uh, MNR, the ministry, and the foresters, and they want their log, but we've had, uh, we've compromised them. You know, you can have your log, but give us the skin. And so it's a really good relationship now. Yeah. Yeah. And then each, each material is in jeopardy right now, you know. Well, we know the pitiful shape the birch are in. It takes anything for the birch to die now and pick up any disease, and then it dies sometimes very young. The cedar, well, the cedar's not really a, in the, on the endangered species, but what's happening is it's being overlogged. Right. So we're having fine, trouble finding these long, suitable cedars now. Huh. Yeah, so now it's one every 500 trees. Yeah. So there's a lot of going in the woods and testing and looking and walking. And then you look at the root. The root, apparently, in the spruce tree, there's a new fungus or parasite that attacks the root system, the, the material I need. Yeah. It goes inside the wood, making it brittle. Huh. Yeah, so I've, I'm not quite sure what the uh, what the name of the disease is, but it's there. We've seen it. We've seen the wood. We've seen the evidence in the root, in the wood. And then, if you, once again, the ash is being attacked by the emerald ash borer. Right. So that concerns us. And then when we're doing these things, uh, we always include the fact that Mother Nature's in trouble and we should do what we can to save her. And we all love our, our experience paddling, so we all share that responsibility to take care of the waters, take care of the earth. Yeah, so that's, that's the main message that we try to bring out. Yeah, just to take care of the earth. Chalk River, and the only real reason why we got it is we did some archaeological work at the, at the Eagle's Nest in Bancroft, and we got to know the archaeologists there. Well, one of them, um, I guess they were doing an uh, archaeological assessment for Chalk River nuclear facility, and then they came across this tree, and they said that we had less than a week to go and look at it, otherwise they're going to cut it for a landfill site. So we had no choice, we had to go in and we peeled it, and this ended up being the widest bark we've ever used for a canoe. Hmm. And if you look, there's no seams on it anywhere. It's wow. all one single sheet. That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. So I look back on my What's grandparents' canoes, there's always a little addition. See on the side? Right. In the middle? In the middle. Yeah, that's because the tree wasn't wide enough. 
So this one, it was wide enough. In fact, that's the first time we ever removed bark. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been a massive tree. It was a massive tree. Unfortunately, we couldn't get it longer than 14 feet. Okay. And then we started getting up into the dangerous areas. Yeah, like the limbs and... Yeah, so we ended up with a 12-foot canoe. Yeah. So anyways. <laughs> canoes in their collection and we only see one third of it here and I think this is the whole reason for them applying for funding for a new museum where they can expose all of the canoes and this one here well I'm assuming that it'll do you want to get down there or sit on the stairs yeah let's get down there in there okay. because we got some weakness in the bark. Mm. I'm thinking this is where uh, when a tree was standing a neighboring tree uh, branch broke off and then scraped the tree on the way down See, so, so it started here and then it and then it came off the tree and then it hit the tree again oh. yeah so we're left with that this not being so bad because once the ribs go into place it'll start pushing out mm. oh, okay. yeah so now when we push out this one got some tearing going on. Hmm. So how do you deal with that? So what we're going to do is we're going to wait till the ribs go in. And what I'm hoping happens then is the patch bark, it, it, it lines right up against the outer layer. Okay. So then there's minimal gapping. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, I think we're going to sew it into place. Hmm. So it won't move anywhere. Yeah, if we don't, then it'll always flap, right? Flap in the water. And do you sew it with the um, with the roots? With the that? root again. See, so this tree wasn't wide enough ex yeah. exactly for. So we had to insert this patchwork, and you see it on that side, mm -hmm. the inside. So we did the same thing on this side, giving us the uh, the room that we need. And then we start sewing the gunwales to the bark. So under each lashing, mm -hmm. there's an ironwood nail. And the reason for the nails is when these start going in, they tend to push up on the inside one. So we want we don't want it to raise. Because what happens there's a there's a cover on this. Let's just say that's uh, almost the same thickness width, so it'll rest on top. Protecting the root. Yeah. So you've got an outside layer and then you'll have the ribs, and then you'll have another inside layer? No, but first, before the ribs go in permanently, what we're doing, we're working on all of the planking, they call it. That, that's what hides the weight of the bark. Okay. And then the, the ribs, they ride on top of that. Right. Okay. Yeah, so then not only giving it the aesthetic look that everyone looks, likes, yeah. you get, you get it, uh, like the properties of solid wood again. Even though they're, even though they're flimsy, once they're all lined up in there, it's like they act as one. And then the ribs come in and, and, then, and it starts to push out against the wall. 
giving it its roundness now. So then we're looking at maybe tomorrow evening, Friday morning, it should start to take really good shape by then. Because <clears throat> each rib's got to be notched too. If you see down there, that those ribs were notched. Yeah, they're kind of kind of slipping out there. Yeah, because yeah, I don't want to put them in until I got this in there. So once we got enough of these, then we're gonna start. We start inside at the ends, and then we start working our way to the middle. And then we get so far, and then we we'll start on this way and work towards the middle. And then the the, the idea is when we're, once we reach the middle, all our flanking and ours all the same length. All six feet, they'll all start and end in one, in one area. So now the trick is to take a rib, and hopefully all the seams are where, wherever the sheeting ended. It's going to be hidden under a rib, so then you won't see where it, where it started and where it ended. So that's the whole idea. Yeah. So once this is ready, this all go in here. Side, you'll feel like a groove. Yeah. Yeah. That's so these guys. So you notice the way they're notched? Mm-hmm. So that they'll slip right under. So typically it's supposed to be a 45 degrees. Okay. This is a 45. Yeah. But you can't always get a 45 on the knife with a good knife. Yeah. So we just try and do what we have to do. Hmm. And so while you're building this canoe, you're also teaching folks to come here, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And we're trying to, like the young people, we're trying to preach sobriety. Hmm. Yeah, because that life of alcoholism, yeah, it's not a life not a life our people should have led. You know, it wasn't ours. According to the medicine wheel, our job was to take care of the earth. And so we're going back to that role. We're grasping that that role again in, in, on the medicine world. Yeah. So we're returning to our roots, if you want to call it that. We work in the roots, and we return to the roots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's where we're that's where we're landed, and that's why we don't mind doing this. Would you mind if I watched you and recorded you working for a bit? Um, well, there's not much left to do. Okay. <laughs> well, even with the whatever you. Well, I can I can uh, I can launch some of these woods for you. Sure. I, I have to do all of them anyways. Okay, so I'm, I have to sit here. Now. Okay. Sorry, I'll probably just. the contour of the bark on that side. And so that just we, has to do with the shape of the tree? Uh, no, it's just the way that it went on the table. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it doesn't always, it's not always, uh, it doesn't always go the way you want it to, because sometimes it's contrary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when that happens, then we have to whip it back <laughs> into shape. Here we go. So is that recording? Yeah. Video? Uh, no, just, uh, just oh. audio. 
So each each one I got a notch like that. There you go. That's it. See what they're finding out now is the guys that I'm teaching is a lot of repetition. That's just you learn the basics and then you just keep doing it over and over and over again until you can do it with your eyes closed. So you take like the root, the root is where we bind everything. Uh, I got so good at it, I can do it with my eyes closed now. You know, just like a, a lead guitar would, would play or pick, he can have his eyes closed, but he knows which chords to touch and yeah, something like that now. What do you think about while you're doing this kind of work? Uh, all kind of things. But I find, uh, when, not so much when I'm doing this, but when I'm digging up uh, roots in the ground, uh, it seems like whatever is bugging me that day, I usually come to some kind of ending, closure inside of me without uh, the help of any psycholo psychologist, psychiatrist. So I find it's therapeutic. And just recently we heard a theory that uh, when we're digging in the earth, Mother Earth uh, so kind as to release chemicals that are uh, sort of like endorphins. They give you that feel-good feeling. Yeah, so that made a lot of sense because every time I was in the ground digging, I, I get this happy feeling, or maybe not happy, but, uh, well, I'll say happy, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times, whatever bugging me, I, like I said, I come to terms with it on my own, and then you're, you're, you're left with this happy feeling, euphoric feeling, and you go home feeling great, even though you're tired as heck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why, I, that's why I don't mind doing this. And besides, I'm, I don't have to answer no one but the bush, the forest, yeah. and my creator. So what do you do at school? I'm actually at the school now.
Enterprise. Canada. So it was a job that was exciting at first, and then after a while, the technology wore off. And realized I wasn't a human being anymore, just a, a number. I found out that if we made a mistake anyway and caused the aircraft to go down, mm. they would charge us for murder. Really? Oh. So for ten dollars an hour, it's not worth that <laughs> just, kind of risk. It just wasn't worth that. And then, God forbid that 9/11 thing would be a blessing in disguise. Just right after that, but that was 
the result of 9-11. Yeah. yeah. In the way the U.S. is always in trouble in the Middle East. So, I guess it was in response to it. You've been listening to Sounds Like Life, broadcast through the facilities of Trent Radio 92.7 CFFF in Peterborough, and a podcast at Peterborough Independent Podcasters. You've been listening to an interview I conducted with Chuck Commanda, a master canoe builder who was working at the Canadian Canoe Museum. The music in the background is from an album called Quiet Friends a 30th anniversary tribute to Steve Roach's Structures from Silence. Thanks for listening.